0: Let us then return to um, Numbers chapter 36, the last chapter in the book of Numbers. Numbers 36, the chapter we read earlier. The title I want to give to the meditation is Another Problem Solved. Another Problem Solved. And as we look at this chapter, we keep in mind what we read earlier from Numbers chapter 27, there in Numbers 27, the five daughters of Zelophefad came forward with a question to Moses, to Eleazar, and to all the congregation at the door of the tabernacle. And what was their problem? What was the question? Well, their father died without having a son. And under the terms of the law as it was, (coughs) the inheritance went to the son. And the daughters felt this was unfair because he had no son. And therefore, in some sense, he was going to be cut out of uh, Israel. His name would be cut off. And it was not through any fault of his. It was simply because he had no son. Well, they brought their case to Moses, and Moses said, well, Moses first of all prayed, sought the Lord over it, and he got an answer from the Lord, and the Lord said, the daughter's request is good. And in that case that they're highlighted, they would receive the father's inheritance. And here we come now to another part of that same question in chapter 36. And it does remind us, as we will probably know on some occasions, that sometimes solving one problem will create another problem. And that's what happened on this occasion. This time it's not the daughters of Selah who brought the problem to the attention of the leaders. Instead it was the chief fathers of the tribe of Manasseh the son of Joseph that came forward. So first of all, we have really in this chapter we have three divisions. We could see we have the concern and we have the answer and then we have the conclusion. So first of all, then verses 1 to 4 we have the concern that was highlighted by the chief fathers of the tribe of Manasseh. What was their concern? Well, they had no problem with the daughters receiving the father's inheritance. They had no problem with that at all. But they took things a step further and they presented a scenario that could easily happen. What was that scenario? Well, the scenario they anticipated was that the daughters would get their inheritance and then they might marry out with their family and out with their tribe. And therefore, the inheritance would then pass on to their husband and to his family or to their family. But the point is, the inheritance would be taken out of the tribe of Manasseh and it would go to another family and another tribe. And therefore, things would be changing, things that God had set in order that each tribe was to have their allotted, allotted point, allotted part of the, the land. And if this was to happen, that the women would marry outside their tribe, then the inheritance would disappear from the tribe of Manasseh. And that was their concern. And they obviously rehearsed the matter and they thought about it. They didn't suddenly rush to Moses with this because in verse 4, they talk about the year of Jubilee. Now, briefly, the year of Jubilee was a time when things were put in order, when slaves were set free, when, if there was any uh, money owed, the debts were cleared. It was a fresh start In many ways and if for instance someone in the tribe of Judah got into difficulty and sold their land in order to get money to pay off a debt and they sold it to someone else from another tribe well what would happen at the day of Jubilee was that all the land that had been sold and was distributed to the other tribes Would all resort back to the original tribe. That's what would happen. And therefore, there was a on the day of Jubilee, on that or the year of Jubilee, the 50th year, there would be a realignment. Everything would get back to the way it was. And slaves would be set free, debts would be cleared. And the land that maybe had been bought by someone else from another tribe would resort back to the original tribe. But this wouldn't answer or address the situation that these men had highlighted. Why not? Well, because the land that we're talking about here, the possession, the inheritance, it wasn't bought and therefore on the day of jubilee it wouldn't it wasn't included in that law and that's why they brought their concern to Moses before we move on to uh, the next heading we would notice that under this concern they were to be congratulated they were to be congratulated for highlighting this possible scenario. And you may well ask yourself then, why were they to be uh, congratulated? Well, for the very same reason that we congratulated the daughters of Zelophefad back in chapter 27. It may well be that we don't remember what we said there in chapter 27 some weeks ago. But one of the things that we said concerning the daughters was that we congratulated them coming forward and posing this question because they had faith. They wanted an interest in the promised land. And as I've kept reminding you almost every time we've come to the book of Numbers, they were on, at this particular time, they were on the brink of the promised land. They were just one step before they would go into it. But they weren't in it. And they would have to fight for it. And there would be many difficulties ahead of them. How long it would take them to occupy the promised land and for the land to be divided and for them to settle in, we don't know. We cannot tell. They couldn't tell. But they were looking past all the obstacles, all the difficulties, all the disappointments, and they were wanting their portion in the promised land. And that is by faith. And it's exactly the same for the heads of the tribes here They were interested in the promised land, and they wanted to keep their inheritance, and they believed the promise. And this would remind us that they were, in some sense, a bit different from the first generation. The first generation were not those who believed. But here, the second generation, they were showing, with all their faults, they were showing that they had their minds, their affections set upon the things of God, and they wanted their portion in the promised land, and they wanted to keep that portion. They didn't want it to be diminished in any way. Maybe this verse here that I'm about to quote to you, is apt and appropriate and surely it describes their, their thinking and their mentality. Jesus on the, the Sermon on the Mount, when he was laying down the, the kingdom laws, if you like, for his kingdom, what does he exhort the people there? He tells them not to worry about tomorrow and all of these things. He, they're, they're not to be like the Gentiles. They're not to worry about food and clothing. Instead... In Matthew 6, verse 33, you know it. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You are to seek first the kingdom of God. That's exactly what these people were doing. They were interested in the kingdom of God in that time and in that generation. They wanted an interest, and they wanted a portion and a part Of the promised land and the part that was allocated to them, they didn't want it to be diminished in any way. They wanted all. They wanted all that God had for them. And we want to ask ourselves, here this night, have we not got the the heavenly promised land before us? Have we not got heaven before us? Have we not got that glorious place where the Lord Jesus Christ is who's gone before to prepare a place for us? Have we got an interest in that? Is this something that occupies our minds? Is this something that we're seeking to press into? Friends, These people can give us a good example. We can be motivated by them with all the difficulties that lay ahead of them. And they didn't know everything, but they were sure that God was going to give them the promised land. And they were going to secure that portion for themselves and for their families. And for those that would come after them in order that their portion would not in any sense be diminished This is the way, this is the mentality that we must adopt. We must be zealous for these things. Was not Christ zealous when he came from heaven and he would not be distracted in order to work out a salvation for us, in order to secure our eternal destiny? Was he haphazard about it? No, he was not. And neither must the people of God. They wanted God's people to have what the Lord would have them to have. Maybe another New Testament verse would help us to understand their psychic. What have we got in Philippians chapter 2 verse 20? We have here in these verses a description of Timothy. Now Paul was going to send Timothy to the Philippians. And this is what he says about Timothy. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Surely this sums up to us the mentality of the leaders. They were seeking the things of the Lord. They were seeking the highest blessing for their people. They were truly being like leaders. They were leading by example. They were out and out to serve God and obviously to serve God they were serving the Lord's people. For all seek their own not the things which are Jesus Christ. (coughs) Could this be said of you? Could this be said of me? Do we seek our own gratification, our own interests, or do we seek the interests of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, that was their concern. And they were to be commended, we believe, for their concern. Well, secondly, from verses 5 to verse 12, basically the bulk of the chapter, we have the the response. We have the response. First of all, we notice in verse 5 that Moses took the matter before the Lord. Moses was a, a wise man, a wise individual, but this was something he didn't know. Therefore, we are led to believe us. We read verse 5. And Moses commanded the children of Israel according to the word of the Lord. Therefore, we believe that the Lord gave him a word. The Lord gave him an answer to prayer. And that's what the Lord will do. There will be occasions in our lives when we come across problems and difficulties and hurdles and obstacles and we do not know how to address them. We are flummoxed, we might say. What are we to do? Well, we are to do exactly what Moses did here, the man of God. He took the matter to the Lord in prayer. I'm reminded about that well-known verse in Proverbs. You probably can quote it from your heart. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. It's very interesting when you look at that verse. You're to trust in the Lord with all thine heart. You're to give your heart devotion to the Lord. You are to look to him and to trust what he will say to you in his word. That is truth. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them by the truth, the Bible says. But it goes on. And lean not unto your own understanding. It doesn't mean to say you're to disengage your understanding. It doesn't mean to say you're to despise your understanding. God has given you understanding. You're to use it. But what it says is you're not to lean upon it. You're not to trust upon it. You're to trust upon the Lord. And not lean upon your own understanding. Use it, yes, but you must lean and trust upon the Lord. And this is what Moses did here. And he got an answer. And the answer was that the chief of the fathers had done well. The tribe of the sons of Joseph hath hath said well. At the end of verse 5 there. Well, what was the response? What was the answer then? Well, the answer was quite clear. These five daughters were to marry men within their tribe and also within their family. This is what verse 6 would tell us. This is the thing which the Lord doth command concerning the daughters of Silophath, saying, Let them marry whom they think best. Only to the family of the tribe of their father shall they marry. In other words they're free to marry anyone, any man of course, any man from the family of the tribe of their father. And by doing this they would keep the inheritance not only in the in the tribe but in the actual family of the tribe. There was their answer. This was what they had to do. And well, we might well ask ourselves, why was this restriction imposed upon them? Well, maybe we have a a couple of answers. He wanted the tribes and families to keep their original inheritance. The Lord had brought them into the promised land. He had marked out the places where they were to settle. He had made their borders. It wasn't a haphazard arrangement. It was the divine will, and he did not want it changed by marriage and by inheritance. That's the way it had to be. But maybe there is another reason. Maybe there is another reason. We all know that the, the Messiah was going to come from Israel. The Messiah was going to come from the tribe of Judah, from the line of David. Now it's maybe a bit Difficult for us to pinpoint and be dogmatic about this. But had the daughters been able to marry anyone in the house of Israel, the daughters who had possession we're talking about, if these daughters who had possession, and they were able to marry from any family and any tribe in Israel, then there would be somewhat confusion after a number of decades, a number of centuries. It would not be quite clear cut as it would be had the law of God and the plan of God been totally implemented. And then when the Messiah came, there may well be an element of confusion Whereas when the Messiah did come, there was no confusion whatsoever. It was clearly marked out by the records that he came from the house of Judah and from the line of David. Absolutely crystal clear. And after, for instance, after AD 70, when the temple was destroyed and all the genealogy records were destroyed, it could never be proved. And if someone came today and claimed to be the Messiah, they could never prove it because the records are not there. But the point I wish to highlight with you and impress upon you this evening, that one reason, possibly one reason, why God did not want any confusion... He wanted to be crystal clear that when the Messiah was to come, it would be verified by records that he truly had come from the tribe of Judah and from the line of David. And of course, there is no doubt whatsoever that, has, that is the, the, the situation. The Messiah has truly come as has been predicted and prophesied in the Word of God. Well, is there any kind of application here for us in the the 21st century? Well, there is, we do believe. We will no doubt know that the Apostle Paul in the book of Corinthians speaks upon the matter of marriage. And marriage was a contentious issue in Corinth. And many were saying that you shouldn't marry. And some people, for instance, maybe they got married when both of them, that's the husband and wife, were pagans, the gospel came, and one of the partners, either the husband or the wife became a Christian, and the other, the unbeliever, did not want to remain in the marriage bond. And some people in, in Corinth who had become Christians said to themselves, well, now that I'm a Christian, do I have to remain with my unbelieving spouse? Am I not free? Well, Paul uh, dealt with a number of these lessons and problems in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But what he leaves us at the end of the chapter is quite clear and plain. He speaks, for instance, in verse 39 of chapter 7. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. Now that could mean, for instance, that if the wife was a Christian and her husband was not a Christian, then she could not divorce her husband if he was prepared to continue to live with her in the marriage bond. And vice versa, the same would be. If the husband was a Christian and the wife was not a Christian, but the wife was happy to remain with the husband, then the husband could not in any sense uh, divorce his wife simply because he had become a Christian. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will. And the only stipulation is only In the Lord. And we would derive from that verse and from the teachings of Paul that a believer is to marry another believer. It's quite clear, we believe, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, anyone, provided. The man is in the Lord only in the Lord. Now we know that can be a contentious issue with some people today, but we believe it's crystal clear. Here it was for these daughters. It was crystal clear to them they had to marry within their father's family. If they were to have the, the inheritance, they could only have the inheritance if they were to marry within their father's family. And we know from the text that they did so. They obeyed the word of the Lord and they married their cousins. And therefore this is, we believe, an application for us. But as far as marriage is concerned, the Christian is to marry another Christian in the Lord. But there's maybe another side issue with our own particular Setup that we have in this Presbyterian church. We are pedobaptists, that is, we baptize infants, infants of believers. They bring their children forward for baptism. We believe it's consistent with the covenant of grace. And there are many baptized believers who are not communicant believers. Now, a baptized believer is someone who has been baptized normally at infancy, and they are regarded as being members of the visible church. They are baptized believers of the visible church. They haven't made a profession of faith. They're not communicant members. But nevertheless, we would regard them as baptized believers of the visible church. What about them? Would this have any application to them? Are they free to marry anyone they like? Well, we would incline to say no. At the very least, we do believe that this would teach us, and what Paul would teach us about marriage is that the very least that a, a baptized member of the visible church should marry is another one in a similar position. One who's also at least a baptized member in the visible church. We do believe this is a, an appropriate outworking of what we find here and what the Apostle Paul teaches us in regard to marriage in Corinth, where there were lots and lots of problems. But nevertheless, we do feel it's appropriate to say these things. I realise that most of those before me this evening, that maybe this is not Not applicable unto you, but there may well be some. And of course, we have a, a wider ministry than the physical ministry before us, and we never know who hears. And we do trust that the Lord will bless His word to all who hear. And then finally, and briefly, we have in verse 13 here, we have the conclusion. Some would say this is the conclusion of the section from, verse, uh, from chapter 33 to 50, uh, 33.50 to the end of the book. And others would say this is the conclusion of the book itself. And here in verse 13, what do we have? These are the commandments and the judgments which the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses unto the children of Israel in the plains of Moab, by Jordan, near Jericho. Well, if this is the end of the book as it is, if this is referring to the whole book, here we have the people about to go into the promised land. And what better way to go into the promised land... To hear the commandments and judgments of the Lord. And then when they go into that promised land, the land that the Lord had sworn to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, that they would obey him. We know from our look at the book of Numbers, this was not the case. They were very disobedient. And they had to be chastised. And severe judgments fell upon them during their 40 years in the wilderness. But here was a fresh generation about to enter in. And what better way than to heed the commandments and the judgments of the Lord. And this is relevant to us all. This is relevant to us whether we be on the way Most of our years, or whether we're beginning our life, our Christian life, our life of faith, it is surely to be obedient to the judgments and the commandments of the Lord. We'll know his presence. We'll know his leading. We'll know his guidance. He will take us ultimately to glory. We can only go that way with his presence and knowing His presence with us if we are obedient. Trust and obey. There is no other way. That's really what he's saying to them. And that's what he says to us all. As we make our journey towards the heavenly Jerusalem, it is to be obedient to him, to his law, to his judgments, to his commandments. Reminding us again of that word's, of the Lord Jesus Christ to us. If you love me, keep my commandments. Another problem solved. May the Lord bless his word to us. Let us pray.